So I am excited to be joined today by Helen Rose Fives, who's a professor in the Department of Educational Foundations at Montclair State University in New Jersey. Helen Rose is the current Division 15 Vice President, and she's served the division in the past as program co-chair, secretary, and co-chair of the Graduate Student Seminar. Helen Rose's research is situated at the intersection of educational psychology and teacher education. And with her colleagues, she has examined teachers' beliefs and motivation as related to teacher learning and practice. Her recent work has focused on the role of teachers' beliefs, cognitions, and practices as related to classroom assessment. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Helen Rose, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I'm really excited to be talking to you today about this great article you published in Educational Psychologist. Um, the title is Teachers' Epistemic Cognition in Classroom Assessment. And I have to tell you, I read the title and said to myself, of course, epistemic cognition is an issue in classroom assessment. I just never really thought about it, and I was really pleased that you wrote a whole article about it. Well, I'm very happy that you had that of course moment. Um, I wish I had had it much sooner than it actually occurred, but I agree. It seems that every, every bit of classroom assessment should involve some kind of epistemic cognition on the part of teachers. Well, better late than never. So, uh, could you do us a favor and just briefly summarize your article for us, kind of hit the high notes? So essentially, the notion of epistemic cognition, the way we frame it, is that it's an active process in which anybody, in this case teachers, are thinking about knowledge, its source, its nature, its justification. And so much of the work in epistemic cognition is done with learners, so students in K-12 settings or at the university level. And of course, I come uh, from a teaching background and I'm interested in teaching. So I always take what I hear in educational psychology and say, well, teachers need to do that too. And teachers need to do it twice. They need to do it once for themselves as a learner to try and understand this stuff. And then they need to think through it again for their students, thinking about how they want their students to think and come to know things. So in this particular article, we applied the notion of epistemic cognition to teachers' processes during classroom assessment activities. And, and we do the span of that classroom assessment. So from designing the assessment, to implementing the assessment, to evaluating the assessment, and then um, making some kind of interpretation or meaning of what's happened with students' knowledge. We then do, a particular in this article, we apply it to, we, we give a fictitious professor of educational psychology and we walk you through how she goes through each of these phases of our model which the model is very clean and pretty. Uh, I wish you all could see it. Things just line up very nicely. Uh, I just spent the morning uh, working with my research partner, Nicole Barnes, um, on data of teachers actually engaged in classroom assessment. And I can tell you, it is very messy and complicated and does not fit our picture quite as prettily as I would like. Um, but we're definitely seeing the epistemic cognition happen. No, that was great. And uh, as we all know, no model is correct, but some are useful. And, and yours is really useful. So uh, you mentioned something uh, that I wanted to touch on or make sure that we talked about, um, which I thought was a really important point that you began making with Michelle Buell. And that is that teachers, as you, have, as you put it, have this dual epistemic cognition perspective. They've got to think about what they believe to be knowledge and also what their students believe to be knowledge. And I guess, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is who teaches teachers to do this, right? So where, where do they learn to take this perspective? Uh, I, I don't know that they do. Um, 
depending on your state and depending on the, the program uh, that you're in, the degree to which teachers are given exposure to what I would see as ed psych content is very limited and that content is very broad. So notions of epistemic cognition um, aren't necessarily made blatant. I think where it should be happening is when really in planning situations. So kind of their methods courses when they're learning how to lesson plan. Because that's really where teachers need to be thinking about the kind of thinking they want their students to do with regard to the content knowledge that they're interested in, in the students developing, which is a really complicated process, especially if you're talking about a traditional age uh, teacher who's you know 19, 20 when they're taking their ed psych class, to have that kind of theory of mind doubly and then layering in content that they're just coming to understand themselves. So I don't know where or how anybody would actually learn the language of epistemic cognition. Um, at best, they might kind of get begin to get access to it when they're exposed to like Bloom's taxonomy and thinking about thinking. But that's different than thinking about the nature of knowledge in your field of study. I think that's right. You know, and I, I know that in the past I have in my teacher education classes said things like, well, focus on what's important or, you know, you know, start with first principles, make sure your students have a, a deep understanding of the foundations of your area, um, which all to me sounds like kind of code for epistemic cognition or enacting epistemic cognition. But I don't know that I, I certainly never use that term in a course. And, you know, maybe I should. And at the same time, I feel like you point out in this article and in many places that teachers are enacting epistemic cognition, even if they don't use those terms or, or are not aware of those terms. Like, for example, when they set learning outcomes, you, you say that learning outcomes are teachers' epistemic aims for students. Can you talk to us a little bit about that process and, you know, kind of how you came upon the idea that learning outcomes are teachers' epistemic aims for students? Yes, but I will say I'm not sure that I agree with myself anymore. Teachers' uh, learning outcomes should be or often are epistemic outcomes for students but are sometimes and often not. So um, when you set a learning objective for your class, depending on kind of your philosophical orientation to knowledge and beliefs, you may set a very behavioral learning objective that I don't know what I, I would say is actually an epistemic aim, right? I, I want students to write in cursive handwriting accurately, uh, that that's necessarily a knowledge goal for the student. It may be a fine goal, but it's not an epistemic goal. So I think, getting teachers to think more about epistemic goals for students, like what is the knowledge you want them to come and know and understand uh, would be helpful. And I think somewhere along the lines, learning outcomes have been, have become just associated with those cognitive levels of Bloom's taxonomy. So it's a process, it's not so much a knowledge goal, but I, I want you to think in a particular way because that will lead to an understanding possibly. But we came to that idea because I think as university professors who study this stuff and then teach people how to teach people how to teach people that <laughs> that we do this that I, I certainly try to think about what's the knowledge I want my students to come away with and then how do I design a class setting and what's the outcome that's appropriate for them at their current level of understanding so I guess it makes perfect sense to me that there are some learning goals that are epistemic and there are some that are not and there are certainly many epistemic or many learning goals rather that, are not epistemic that are really important. Uh, some of the research that I've seen recently has talked about how 
learning goals should include things like teaching students how to learn more efficiently. So metacognition, et cetera. And I, I, I'm just kind of wondering out loud here, are, are, are those epistemic learning goals? Are, are teachers who are focused on helping students learn more effectively, are they engaging in, in epistemic cognition in that time? Or is that a different kind of teaching and thinking? Yeah. So w- when I reread this article to prepare for this, <laughs> I actually circled on the first page um, the, def- the definition uh, from Hofer and Bendixson of epistemic cognition as the ability to construct, evaluate, and use knowledge. And then I put a big old circle around it and wrote my own notes that really depends on what you count as knowledge, which I think is kind of a a bigger issue right now in in epistemic cognition than I hear anybody else talking about. And it may only be because in my field, that notion of knowledge is so messy. Um, Like what counts as knowledge for teachers? And there's a variety of taxonomies of teaching knowledge and they look can look very different from each other and include things uh, as clear cut as content knowledge and as complex as um, the milieu of teaching. If they're learning about their, their context in the school and what it means to be a teacher, well, that's a kind of knowledge that's valued in this field. So does that count as something that would be epistemic cognition? If I know a variety of instruction learning strategies that I want te- students to develop, that's a form of procedural knowledge. So is that a knowledge goal or is that a skill? I think the other distinction that at least we're, I'm coming to is, are you learning it as in coming to understand the process or are you practicing the process? I may introduce a skill like outlining and explain to students why they need it. And this is an important strategy and skill to use for your future learning. But then for the rest of the year, when I ask you to outline every chapter, like, I'm, I, that's just practice. It's not about really coming to have a deeper understanding of outlining. It's just practicing that skill and making it a habit, perhaps even an epistemic virtue, if it's something that becomes helpful to you in learning and knowing in the future. So I mean, that does bring up an, an interesting point. I mean, one of the things that I, I've always found really interesting about epistemic cognition research is that from the beginning there was a sense that one of the hurdles that people need to get over is the idea that there's not one fixed set of knowledge that everyone agrees upon and it's simple and it's certain and you just need to learn it and move on. And my sense has always been that when you know very little about a particular discipline or area, you're more likely to think that it's simple or certain. And that's not true in all cases. You know, of course there's the phrase like, well, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, which suggests that people kind of understand that rocket science is complex and whatever. But certainly, I think you very often, in terms of teaching, for example, you hear about this thing called the apprenticeship of observation. This idea that, you know, people who have been in school for a long time think they know the best way to teach based upon who they have had as teachers and who they liked. So I think there's this uh, idea out there that teaching is simple and certain. There's a way to do it. There's a, a not right way to do it. And therefore, um, people should just do it the right way. And as soon as you start digging into a discipline like teaching, you begin to realize it's really complex. And I guess what I'm wondering is, is there a way for us to make more clear to teachers that it is complex, it's not simple, and Deciding how you want to teach and what you want to teach requires this thing called epistemic cognition. That's it's not going to be straightforward. You're going to have to do some work to figure it out. 
Yeah, I, I don't know that it's teachers we need to convince, but pre-service teachers, people who are intending to go and have never stood before a group of people um, to explain anything or have never worked with children in any capacity, often have very, as you, as you described, that apprenticeship of observation, these views of, I'm going to be an English teacher because I liked my English classes and that's what English teaching should be. And therefore they replicate that same thing for their future students. So that, that's a group of people that needs to really understand how complicated what they're getting into is. And that needs to happen sooner rather than later, in my opinion, in their, um, in their program of study. But then there's the whole rest of the world, <laughs> right? Weighs in and, and evaluates teachers and decides on their pay and writes about them and complains to principals and school boards about teachers that think, come on, you have summers off. You're just telling kids what to do all day. It's not that hard. And, and that's the group that I don't think really understands the complexities of the work that's already there just and the cognitive work, not just as well as basic physical stamina and the emotional labor of teaching all become part of what a teacher needs to know, right? And so then any opportunity to learn about any of those things, one might perceive as a form of epistemic cognition. Interesting. Yeah. But that, this is a great point. So, uh, you know, your article is about teachers' epistemic cognition in classroom assessment. Um, it almost sounds like we've identified that there needs to be epistemic cognition in education policy. Oh, I'm sure it's lurking there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's out there somewhere. It just hasn't been identified. Well, you know, and like, like you pointed out, epistemic cognition seems to be happening um, teachers are engaging in it, even if they don't have that terminology for it. So, you know, the, my guess would be the education policy folks and even lay people who like to dabble in it and their thoughts about education policy are probably engaging in epistemic cognition. They just don't realize it. And if they did realize it, they might more quickly cross that initial hurdle I was talking about, where uh, it's easy if you don't reflect upon it to think, well, it's pretty straightforward. I'll teach, you know, everyone should teach like my English teacher taught, as you said. But as soon as you start thinking about it in a um, serious way, you begin to realize it's much more complex. And I think that's when you've kind of crossed that Rubicon into epistemic cognition. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think one of, one of the easier things about us with this particular article of situating it in assessment is we were able to take some of the other messy stuff about teaching out. If a teacher is just, just dealing with looking at, here's the content I want my students to know and understand. Here's how I've taught that. How shall I design an assessment that's going to demonstrate their knowledge? And there becomes, you know, the issues of, well, what does the teacher believe knowledge to be? So I believe knowledge in mathematics to be very simple um, algorithms and procedures. And I'm going to design a test that's very reflective of that, as opposed to if I see mathematics as complicated in real world and applied, the assessment I design and, and the way I would teach it would then be I would hope very different in terms of helping students to really come to understand math as a field of study and not just as those numbers that we try to avoid. And, and I think assessment gives us a, a way of narrowing the scope of all that teachers do and say and think about because we can kind of look at it kind of coldly away from the students. Here's, here's what I'm gonna ask them to do. Here's the kind of knowledge I'm asking them to represent. Is it, at the level I'm hoping for. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with like a low level learning objective. I want you to 
you know, be able to define a term. That may be the first step in understanding a larger system, which I think also becomes another kind of complicated part of epistemic cognition in teachers is that it's not just about them coming to have the best understanding of the content. They have to have their best understanding of the content as well as an understanding of how those understandings develop so that they can have those appropriate levels of um, interventions and experiences for students that they can develop a similar or, or begin to develop a trajectory of understanding. Interesting. I, and I think that's a really important point, that classroom assessment is an authentic yet somewhat circumscribed context in which we can actually examine teachers' epistemic cognition. Because as you said, we're not having to deal with interactions between teachers and students, which are important, but really complex. Um, in the assessment context, I think you've done some work with Think Aloud protocols and teachers talking about their assessments. That can be a place where we can service epistemic cognition um, in a more, shall I say, controlled, but also authentic context. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think it's a, it's because a, one of the big problems with epistemic cognition as a field is how do we get at it? How do we get at people doing it? Because it's something that's happening inside their head. Um, so then when you add the layer of teachers doing it, while they're in live practice, it's kind of hard to stop them and say, and so why did you do that? And are, what are you thinking right now? Although um, my colleague Alina Resnitskaya at Montclair State University uh, has been doing work in argumentation and her doctoral student, uh, her dissertation is looking at teachers learning how to facilitate argumentation and the amount of epistemic cognition that teachers engage in to learn how to facilitate argumentation so there's, the students can engage in epistemic cognition, right? It's this kind of multi-layered process, and it's hard. Well, that is hard because it, it gets down to there's, there's teachers' beliefs or understandings about what argumentation is and is not, what is good argumentation, what is not, um, the elements, the kinds of reasons and evidence that are valid and useful versus not. I mean, there's, there's a lot there that I think probably goes unpacked you know, we say to teachers, teach argumentation, and you might even give them some, some ideas about how to do that, but argumentation about what, and what counts as a good reason, what counts as, as you know, adequate evidence, et cetera. I don't know that we get very deep into that. Yeah, I, I think there are a few groups that are working on that, um, but I think it's also from a researcher's perspective, you know, she does video protocols and then has the teachers watch back. Uh, what they did with their classrooms, Alina does this. And that, that's one way to access this thinking, right, this online thinking. And, and we've just kind of chosen to situate ourselves in classroom assessment because, A, it seems like a good access point, right? If you're evaluating somebody else's knowledge representations, then you're engaging in epistemic cognition. Now, the, the extent to which that happens or the extent to which that is explicit, um, we're, we're finding more or less difficult to find out. Some teachers are very cognizant of what they're doing and, and in our study anyways, and, and talking very explicitly, not using these terms, but it's very obvious that they had an aim for their students and they had a reliable process they expected the student to use and they have an outcome that, that they were gonna value based on the ideals they had established. Um, so we, it, it lines up so beautifully with the model. And then other teachers, it's kind of all over the place. One thing that, that's kind of interesting in our work is we didn't begin our study looking at epistemic cognition. We were just looking at what do teachers think about and do when they're engaged in assessment activities. 
and we saw epistemic cognition happening. So we didn't prompt them to do any of these things. Um, and in a few instances, we saw teachers in a very non-epistemic task. Uh, so I saw a teacher, watch a teacher, you know, grading a multiple choice test for fifth graders. It's not an epistemic task, right? Uh, uh, anybody could do that. And she gets to about halfway through the stack and she's like, hmm, something's going on. She finishes and then she goes back and she starts counting how many students got each item wrong. Right? She's doing an item analysis. Um, so all of a sudden, this very mundane, non-epistemic task became an epistemic task for her. That something happened and it sparked it, right? That bit of disequilibrium. And then she applied a reliable process and went back and discerned uh, that two items were problematic with students. And that led to a whole series of thought processes for her. But that's not a routine practice for most teachers to do an item analysis of their multiple choice tests with fifth graders. And, you know, maybe it should be. Um, but there's a lot of just relying on intuition and my sense of it and what I feel is happening and not so much like a, a clear process. And some of it's just time. Um, they just don't have time. And, and a lot of it is we also don't do a good job of teaching teachers how to engage in assessment processes. Or how to think about the results of those processes either, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah. See, that's really interesting because, that, again, that ties back to your article where, as I read your article, I just kept thinking, gosh, it feels like epistemic cognition is happening for teachers in all these different aspects of their career and, and their day-to-day -day lives. Um, but I don't know that we call it that. And I don't know that teachers would, call, would know to call it that. And, you know, you mentioned how as you listen to teachers think aloud while they're looking at assessments, some produce you know very clear evidence of epistemic cognition and others you said were kind of all over the place and you said one of the factors could be time i mean it could be that some of them just don't have time to engage in that but i mean this i think this ties in really nicely to the reflexivity part of your paper so um, what what can we do to help teachers uh, enact epistemic cognition and know how to enact epistemic cognition when it seems to be needed or helpful yeah. <laughs> I mean, reflection and reflexivity have a long history in teacher education and teacher practice. Uh, I teach a course on teacher learning and development across the professional continuum. And I don't think that there's an article on no matter what topic we read that doesn't mention the importance of reflection in teaching practice. Um, and the insufficiency of just thinking about it, but, but, being, but thinking about it in targeted ways that can lead to improvements in your practice. Um, and making that a habit that, that teachers just engage in, right, an epistemic virtue. I, I think the challenge is, you know, where to target that reflection. When you're a teacher and you're on your own, right, you're, you're teaching your fifth grade class, all subjects, all day, and you remember to reflect on this part or that part, but a bunch of things happen in the, in the course of a class, you know, of a day. Um, that knowing what really needs that deeper reflection about content or assessment or classroom management processes um, becomes a challenge uh, for teachers. And, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, you just want to go home and watch Wendy Williams or something not, and, and move away from all of that. So I think early on, introducing the importance of reflection to pre-service teachers, meaning people who are thinking about teaching, becomes a really important task. In my experience, some people are just kind of more attuned to doing it. I, I don't know why or how. They also tend to be better writers. 
I think that's a problem we have with reflection that it tends to, to show up in the form of journal writings or blog posts or discussion posts. And I don't know that all students reflect in those ways. And it seems with new technologies, we have new ways that people can reflect and document that reflection and track it for themselves and for others that maybe other people have already started embracing. I, I haven't seen a lot of that. There's a lot of use now of video in teacher education and ongoing teacher professional development. Our school districts here in New Jersey allows the practicing teachers who've um, already received tenure, so they're further along in their career, design their own professional development plans. Uh, and one of those options is through videotaping themselves teaching and then writing reflections on it and targeting for themselves what they want to do to improve practice and then tracking themselves with video. And the principal who I know whose school is doing it said that some of the teachers just love this ability to kind of watch themselves because they're not getting that kind of close feedback from anybody else. But that that is interesting. You know, so it's, it's almost certainly not the case that teachers... Um, are not capable of engaging in epistemic cognition because of course they do, as you said in the article, all the time in all these different kinds of ways. But is the context one in which it's likely to happen? Do they have time to do it? Do they have mental energy and kind of the resources to do it? Because goodness knows some days I leave my office and I just want to go home. I don't watch Wendy Williams, but I want to go home and watch something that doesn't tax me too much. I don't want to watch myself teaching. Um, but that's a, that's a really good point, right? How do we help um, how do we create teaching positions and teaching contexts in which they will want to and have the energy to engage in the kind of reflexivity you're talking about? That's a real challenge. The other challenge I would say is for those of us who study epistemic cognition. I was talking to Nicole and I'm like, you know, I don't know how to teach this to student teachers or to pre-service teachers in a way that they could find it useful. We don't have a simple enough way of explaining this theory and its parts and what's important and not important with a consistent language that they can take up. Um, and so it's kind of that, that same issue I'm talking about teachers needing to kind of backwards design down what's, what's, what are students capable of knowing and understanding that's going to let them build up to this deeper understanding of epistemic cognition. But I don't know that we have a very clear framework for it that uh, is immediately transferable to practice or even reflection. And, and that may mean that we need to be partnering with teachers and, and kind of exposing them to all of our complicated mess and hearing the sense they make of it. I think that's a really good point. And I think that would actually be very, very helpful. It'd be nice to have like a, a conference or some kind of, you know, two-day retreat where we, you know, bring together teachers and people who study epistemic cognition and talk through it. You know, I'm reminded of an article that Dan Willingham wrote recently where he talked about how a lot of the ed psych textbooks in pre-service teacher programs, you know, they kind of go through every learning theory and this kind of broad overview, you know, this kind of overview of the field. You know, let me give you the entire history of learning theory. He's like, why don't we just teach them the learning theory that we think is most applicable for them and move on? You know, they don't, they don't need eight learning theories. They probably need one. Well, and... What also is absent in those books, I have not read this particular article, is, yeah, we cover all of the learning theories, but we don't cover the science and processes and justification for why one would be better than the other. So students are like, oh, I can just pick the one I like the best and use that and it'll be good. And maybe or maybe not. Well, there's epistemic cognition, right? So that might not be the most reliable process for picking the best theory. Um, but again, you know, we don't if we don't surface this kind of thinking, you know, we're kind of 
some teachers will probably engage in it and some may not. And some may be using normative processes to decide what to teach and what not, and some may not, right? And that's that introduces variance that could be problematic. And I, you know, I'm, I'm struck by getting back to your article about classroom assessment. I think classroom assessment itself is something where I'd like to see teachers and parents and policymakers engage in more epistemic cognition when thinking about classroom assessment itself, right? So what are the types of classroom assessment that are helpful? Which ones are not so helpful? What does the evidence say? It'd be nice if that assessment conversation had a little more explicit epistemic cognition in it. Yeah, I agree. And I think it also becomes a, a broader conversation too, because what are, are the consequences of these assessments? And just so simple as, you know, a kid gets a D on their paper and takes it home, there's an emotional baggage for that kid. It's not, oh, I, that's good feedback for me and I'm going to learn from this. There, there, again, like the assessment piece itself, like validity, reliability, is it giving me what I want to know? Am I assessing it? Is all crucially important in understanding, understanding assessment and what it's doing. But then there's all these other pieces of it once we start applying it to children and schools and people who are trying to learn and get better. Um, it becomes part of the teacher's knowledge base as well. And, and what I tend to see when um, some people are listing out, this is everything a person needs to know about assessment or data, they, they tend to kind of ignore this emotional motivational piece and the consequences that may be part of it that I think are that may may drive many teachers more so than the actual this is a valid measure of students' knowledge. Well, that gets back to the classic idea of consequential validity. And, right. Absolutely. And you, you bring up a really good point that the effects of assessment depend critically upon the context in which the assessment occurs, right? So there are certain classroom and school and learning environments where a bad grade on a test is not viewed as diagnostic of ability, where, you know, growth mindset, and there's been controversy about growth mindset recently, but in general, there are some contexts in which students feel like it's okay if I don't do well because I have confidence that I can improve, whereas in other contexts that bad grade on a text can feel very, very powerful. And in that kind of context, the assessment carries a different kinds of con different kind of consequence. Yeah. So the work you're doing is clearly very, very important. And I encourage everyone to read your article, particularly not just folks that are interested in epistemic cognition. I think this is a great article for people that are studying classroom assessment, that are studying teaching. And so I hope that they um, pay attention to because I really do think that you've very effectively bridged those two worlds and pointed to a number of different directions for future work. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. And yeah, I, I, we, I've been talking about it like it's all my work, but I, I would like to point out that I had many co-authors on this project, including Nicole Barnes, Michelle Buell, Julia Mascardi, and Nathan Ziegler. So, and this work was initiated by a grant from early that allowed us to have a two-day or three-day conference before the early conference in Cyprus, so. Uh, and that is a great special issue. And so I do encourage everyone to, to look at the entire special issue. Um, that's one of the things that's really nice about educational psychologists is that they produce these special issues that are just this um, wonderful entree into a particular area of the field. Right, absolutely. Helen Rose, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me about your article. And I wanna encourage folks to, um, Go online and find Educational Psychologist uh, 2017, Teachers Epistemic Cognition and Classroom Assessment. It's Helen Rhodes and her colleagues at Montclair State, at uh, George Mason, at Queensland, at South Dakota State. 
um, a, a great read and a, a wonderful article and a larger special issue um, that I really encourage folks to check out. So Helen Rose, thanks again so much. Thank you. Thank you.